0: Our holy God, Father in heaven, thank you for your son, Jesus, the Christ. Thank you for using him to be the perfect sacrifice on the cross for our sins. Father, thank you for his teachings, his parables, that these have been revealed and preserved so that we can study them and learn more about your will, will and your kingdom and your nature And Father, help us, Fathers. We'll be studying some parables today uh, that may be not studied as much as the others, but they're still powerful, they're helpful, they're useful. And I pray, Father, that we will appreciate them for what they are, that is, the teachings of Jesus. And help us also appreciate, Father, how if you have preserved them in your word, you've done that for a reason. You've done that for us to study and learn and grow in them. And, Father, to learn about you from them. Bless this study, Father. Bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Good evening. Good evening, dear friends. Thank you for tuning in uh, to another Bible study video. We are making our way through a series this month about the parables of Jesus. So far, we've studied several parables from Jesus. We've studied the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Sower the parables about the three lost things, the unmerciful servant. We've studied many parables. And in this particular Bible study video, we're going to transition to a degree. We're still going to study parables of Jesus, but we're going to study some parables that maybe not studied, maybe they're not studied as much as some of the others. These are some of the more neglected parables of Jesus, and maybe they're neglected because of their subject matter and we're going to talk about that this this evening in this bible class video before we do that though before we look at the specific parables of jesus that we want to look study or look at tonight i want to first set up the context for what we're going to study by asking you to go into your bibles to matthew chapter 23 when you go in your bible to matthew 23 want to read to you verses 37 through 39. Well, I want these verses to set up the context for our study tonight, okay? Matthew 23, verse 37. The Bible says this. It says, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets, and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you from now on, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hear, my dear friends, Notice how the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus is expressing great grief because no matter how often he tried to embrace and comfort the people of Israel, no matter how often he tried to bring them under his wings the way a hen gathers her chicks, no matter how often he tried to to be the Messiah for these people and to save these people and be the bread of life for these people. They wouldn't allow it. They would not allow it. They rejected him. They refused to believe in him. They refused to accept him as God's Messiah. Throughout the three-year ministry of Jesus, That was the attitude demonstrated by the people of Israel over and over again. And because of that, because they rejected him as the Messiah Jesus is saying here, that these people, the people of Israel, the people who were God's people under the Old Covenant, mind you, they were going to experience God's judgment. They were going to be punished. Their house was going to be left desolate. The idea there is God was going to wipe them out as a nation. They were going to receive the judgment of God. That's what the Lord is promising in verses 38 and 39 of that chapter. And that is something that the Lord doesn't just mention here, but... It's something he mentions all throughout his ministry. It's a concept or a promise that he mentions all throughout his parables. You see, throughout many of the powerful parables of Jesus, he talks about the judgment of God. He talks about the judgment of God that will come upon the Jewish people because they rejected him as the Messiah, Jesus used many parables to announce this truth over and over again. And in this video, in this particular video, I, I want to share a few of those parables with you. In this video, I want to talk with you about some of the parables that have to do with the judgment of God. I want to talk with you about some of the parables Jesus taught That were designed to warn the children of Israel, the people of Israel, about God's pending judgment that would come upon them because they refused to receive Him as the Messiah. The first one I want to look with you, the first one I want to look with you this morning about is in Matthew 21. I want to look together at Matthew 21. From your Bible to verse number 28. I want us to study three parables that have to do with the judgment that will come upon the children of Israel. A judgment that was accomplished by God by using the Roman army in 70 A.D. in the destruction of Jerusalem. In Matthew 21 and verse number 28. Let's start here, okay? Matthew 21 and verse 28. Jesus says, But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he regretted and went. The second man, or the man came to the second, I'm sorry, and said the same thing, and he answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the Father? They, and the they there is a reference to the Jewish leaders. Men like the Pharisees and the scribes. They said the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that the tax collectors and the prostitutes Well, get into the kingdom of God before you, for John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did believe him, and you, seeing this, did not feel remorse afterwards, so as to believe him. Okay, let's try to break down this short parable that Jesus taught. This is a parable that is called the parable of the two sons, Notice the characters that are mentioned in the parable. First, we have a man who has two sons. We got a father and he has two sons and he goes to his first son and he gives him a commandment. He says, I want you to go and work today in my vineyard. Go and work in my vineyard. That's what this father told his first son and at first, The son answered, I will not. He says, Father, I'm not going to go and work in your vineyard today, but afterward, after he thought about it a little bit, and after his conscience was pricked, Jesus says this son repented. And he went. He changed his mind. He went and he obeyed the commandment of his father. That's what the first son did. Then the father went to a second son his second son, and he told him the same thing. He told him to get up and go today and work in his vineyard. This son said he would. Remember, the first son initially said he would not, but eventually he went and did the work. The second son does the opposite. The second son says he would, but he did not go. Like the first son, this son did not obey the commandment of the Father. Now, after describing what takes place between this Father and his two sons, Jesus asked the religious leaders a question. The question was which of the two, which of the two sons did the work of the Father? Which of the two sons did the will of the father? Well, the answer was obvious. The answer was the first. The first one. He's the one who did the will of the father. Why? Because he was the one who got up and went to go and do the work in the vineyard. Jesus then said to them, truly I say to you. He's got him in a trap here. He says, truly I say to you that the tax collectors and the prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. Jesus slapped him right in the face with this teaching. He goes on to explain himself more when he says, For John, this is John the baptizer, John the prophet who came into the world and had the mission of preparing the way for Jesus. John came to you in the way of righteousness. And you did not believe him, Jesus says, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they did believe him. And you seeing this did not even feel remorse afterwards so as to believe him. Jesus says that the tax collectors and the prostitutes would enter into the kingdom of God before these religious leaders. What is the point of the parable? Well, the point of this parable is simply this, my dear friends. The point is, according to Jesus, the outcast of society. The tax collectors, remember we've made the point that in the time of the first century, tax collectors were not viewed positively by the Jewish people. They were not viewed positively because most of them were viewed as corrupt criminals. Jesus said that the tax collectors and the prostitutes, the outcasts of society, they would be saved. They would be saved. While those who should have been the most prepared to receive the Messiah, the scribes, The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the men who knew the scriptures, who taught the scriptures, who thought about the scriptures, who were viewed as holy and righteous by the people, these men would not be saved. They would not be saved because they rejected the Messiah. Their hearts were hardened. Jesus says it's the tax collectors that could and would be saved. But the religious leaders, the people who on the surface would appear to be the first ones into the kingdom of God, they were the ones that would be lost. They would be lost because while they said the right things, they didn't do the right things. While they knew the scriptures, they didn't practice the scriptures. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes, when they heard the word of God, when they heard John preach, they initially may have rejected it, but in time their hearts were touched, their hearts were pricked, and they did obey. You see, what you have here is a contrast, a contrast between two groups of people when it came to how they responded to the preaching of John. The tax collectors and the prostitutes, they may have initially rejected John's teaching. But in time they changed. They softened their hearts and they went to the one that John preached about and that is Jesus while the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, they may have said the right things but they did not submit to the teachings of John. They did not submit to the teachings of Jesus and his apostles. And so this is a parable that shows us how God views things from heaven. It shows us that in the time of Jesus, it was the outcast who would be entering to the kingdom of God while the religious leaders, they would not enter because they rejected the Messiah. And that leads us to a second lesson I think we can appreciate from this parable, and that is lip service is not enough. It is not enough. I'm reminded of what Jesus says somewhere else in the gospel. It's in Matthew chapter 15. And in Matthew 15, Jesus is speaking to these same kind of people, these religious leaders. And in Matthew 15 and verse number 7, Matthew 15 and verse 7, Jesus said, you hypocrites. He called these men hypocrites rightly did Isaiah prophesy about you, this people honors me with their lips. They honor God with their lips. They said the right things, but their hearts, notice, he says, their hearts is far away from me, but in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. The religious leaders, one of their main problems in the time of Jesus was they said the right things, they knew the right things, they studied the scriptures, they knew the scriptures, but they didn't practice the scriptures. They were not doers of the word. Here in Matthew 15 and in what Jesus says in Matthew 21, we see clearly that lip service is not enough. God doesn't just want us to quote scripture to quote the Bible, to say things that sound right. Instead, God also wants us to practice these things. God wants us to do what his word says. His word doesn't do us any good if we don't practice it and obey it. James 1.22, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. From this parable we see that it's the outcast that would be saved It's the tax collectors and the sinners and the prostitutes who would be saved because they humbled their hearts and received the word of God and the religious leaders would not. They would not enter into the kingdom of God. Many of them wouldn't because all they gave God was lip service and lip service is not enough. And so that is the parable of the two sons. Now move with me to Matthew 21. Back to Matthew 21. Now look with me at a longer parable and an even deeper parable when it comes to this same subject. Here Jesus is announcing how God is rejecting the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people, and he's given the kingdom of God to other people, to people who would come from unlikely places. Matthew 21, verse 33. Listen to another parable, Jesus says. He's speaking to these same men, these religious leaders, There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, and he dug a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it out to the vine growers and went on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. The vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. Again, he sent another group of slaves, larger than the first, and they did the same thing to them. But afterward, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. Surely they'll respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. They took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? They, the religious leaders, they said to him, He will bring those wretches to a a wretched end, and he will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper seasons. Jesus said to them, Did you ever read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, Say to you, the kingdom of heaven will be taken away from you. The kingdom of heaven will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. Verse 45, notice this. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, the parable of the two sons and the parable of the landowner, they understood he was talking about them. They knew that he was taking a shot at them. When they sought to seize him, they feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. It wasn't Jesus' time just yet. To die. But they're ready to, they're ready, they are ready to kill him because they hate his teaching. They know that he is talking about them in, in these parables, and they're embarrassed by that. They are embarrassed because Jesus is exposing their corruptness to the people. Now, let's go back and look carefully at this parable this parable about the wicked vine growers. Notice how Jesus says at the beginning of this parable, he says there was a certain householder, a man who owned a vineyard. He planted his vineyard. He set a hedge about it. He dug a wine press in it. He built a tower, and then he rented it out to certain landlords whose responsibility it was to render fruit to the householder at the proper season. So we got a householder. He plants a vineyard. He rents it out to landlords, and their responsibility is to bring him the produce at the proper time. Eventually, that time comes. Eventually, the householder sent certain servants, certain of his servants, to the landowners to collect the rent. He wants his produce. Well, instead of doing what they were supposed to do, instead of being good stewards over the vineyard and giving the produce that was owed to the householder, Jesus says the vine growers did very wicked things. They did very wicked things to the servants of the householder. They actually persecuted the servants. They mocked them. They beat them. They even killed some of them. Jesus says the householder gave them another chance. He sent some other servants, and these were treated in the same way. They were beaten. They were abused. They were persecuted. They were even killed. And then finally, the householder gave them one more chance, and he says, I'm going to send my son to them. They've abused my servants. They persecuted my servants, but maybe they'll treat my son right. Maybe they will give me what I am due. Through my son. Well, in verses 38 through 39, Jesus says, When the vine growers, these wicked vine growers, saw the son, they said amongst themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. And they took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. They treated his son even worse than they treated his servant. These are wicked, wicked vine growers. And so, let's talk about the meaning of the parable. The meaning of the parable is pretty easy to understand. I think we can all agree that when we study this, the householder, who he represents, is pretty clear, he represents God. He represents God the Father. God the Father is the one who planted the vineyard. God the Father is the one who owns the vineyard, and the vine growers, the wicked vine growers, the wicked landlords, they represent the Jewish people. They represent the nation of Israel, the people who were God's special people for hundreds and hundreds of years. These people were God's special and holy nation. They were God's children. God had a special relationship with these people under the old covenant. The vine growers represent them. They were the ones who were put in charge of the vineyard of God. And the vineyard actually represents their special relationship they had with God. When Jesus talks about the vineyard and the wine press and the tower, all that stuff he talks about there, it represents the special covenant relationship that the Jewish people had with God. It represents the fellowship they had with God through the law of Moses. The vineyard represents the special spiritual relationship that Israel had with God and the servants who were sent to them represent the prophets. The servants represent men like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Malachi and Hosea, Zechariah, Amos, Obadiah, Nahum, the list goes on and on. The prophets were the servants who were sent to the nation of Israel to preach to them, to warn them, to urge them to be obedient to God and to be good stewards of the vineyard that they were over. The servants were the ones, or the servants or the prophets who were the ones who were rejected by the nation of Israel. They were rejected by God's people. They were killed, they were abused, they were mocked. The prophets, they were treated poorly by by the nation of Israel. And the son, who was ultimately killed and treated worse even than the prophets, that represents Jesus. Jesus was the one. Who was rejected by the Jews. He was taken outside of the vineyard. Outside of the city of Jerusalem. And he was killed on a cross. The householder is God. The vine growers, growers represent the Jewish people. The vineyard represents the special relationship. That Israel had with God. The servants who were rejected by the Jews represent the prophets, and the son who was killed by the Jews represents Jesus. Now, what's the meaning of the parable? Well, the real meaning and purpose of the parable is explained beginning in verse number 40 and going to the end of the chapter. In verses 40 through 46, Jesus there talks about how the landowner The householder, when he realizes and finds out about what happened to his son, the heir to his throne, he's angry, he's furious, and he retaliates. He retaliates by bringing punishment, a severe punishment, on these landowners. He kicks them out of the vineyard. He punishes them for what they did to his people. He rejects them. He breaks them in pieces and scatters them. In those verses, Jesus is talking about God's judgment that would eventually come upon the people of Israel in 70 AD when the Romans came into Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, destroyed the city, and wiped them out as a nation. In these verses, the Lord is referring to God severing his relationship with Israel and becoming the king of a new nation of people. The new nation of people doesn't just represent Gentiles necessarily, but it really represents Christians, disciples, anyone who would submit to the terms of the gospel that will be given through Jesus Christ. Peter actually makes mention of this in 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and in verse number 9. In 1 Peter 2 and in verse 9, when talking to Christians here, he says, but you're a chosen race. Notice how Christians are the chosen race now. They're the royal priesthood. They're the holy nation. They are the people for God's own possession. Why? so that they might proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Peter says to Christians, for you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Notice how God, God is now the king over a new kingdom, and that is the kingdom of Jesus. Jesus is the king over the kingdom of God, which is the church, the body of Christ, Christians, disciples of the Lord. They are the royal priesthood. They are the holy nation. They are the people for God's own possession. It doesn't matter anymore about your physical lineage like he did under the old covenant. Now it's about your spiritual lineage. Now it's about if you live by faith, if you submit to Jesus Christ, then you are part of the holy nation of God. Going back to Matthew 21, there Jesus is announcing how God was going to sever his relationship with Israel, the physical nation of Israel, and he was going to become the king of a new nation, and that nation would be Christians. The Jewish leaders, they clearly understood that's what the Lord was talking about, and that is why they got very angry. In fact, they got so angry that they wanted to kill Jesus right there on the spot. Jesus in that parable is talking about the judgment of God that was going to come upon the physical nation of Israel. And then he brings this point home even more in one more parable I want to share with you. And that is a parable found in Matthew 22. In Matthew 22, we find the parable of the marriage feast, the parable of the marriage feast. Let's look at one more parable, and that's going to be our class. In Matthew 22, and verse 1, Jesus spoke to them again in parables. He's talking about the same thing. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fatted livestock are all butchered, And everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went on their way, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. That is no doubt, talking about the Jewish people and what would happen to them because, because they did not accept God's invitation. Verse number 8, then he said to the slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered, gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Okay, let's look at what's going on here. Notice how in this parable, Jesus talks about a wedding party. A wedding banquet that is organized, not just for anyone, but for a king's son. There's a wedding party that is being organized by a king's son. This is a royal banquet. This is a big deal. If you are invited to this event, that means you're somebody special. You're someone special to a king. Now, since these folks lived in a time where you didn't have snail mail, you didn't have email, you didn't have the opportunity and the resources to print out wedding invitations and send them in the mail. Since you don't have that kind of stuff going on at this time, the guests had to be invited by word of mouth. The king had to send servants out to invite the people that he wanted to attend the wedding. Those who had been invited by the king, they refused to come. The king invited some people first, a specific group of people first to a wedding for his son, and they didn't want to come. These people refused and turned down the invitation of the king. But the king doesn't give up on them right away. He gives them another chance. He sends other servants out to invite these people. He says, come to the feast. Come to the wedding. It's going to be great food. It's going to be a fatted calf. I'm preparing my best for my guest. He says, I'm going to have fatted livestock, oxen. They're all going to be butchered. It's going to be a great dinner prepared. Come and celebrate in this great banquet. Well, again, they refused to come. They refused to come to the prepared dinner where there would be oxen and fat livestock all butchered and ready to feast on. They refused once again to come to the king's banquet. In fact, some of them were even very violent some of them were very, very ugly when they turned down, turned down the invitation. In verse number 6, Jesus says that some of these people who have been invited, they seized his, seized his slaves and mistreated them, and they even killed them. And so not only do they turn down the invitation, but they abuse the messengers who were sent by the king. The king then became very angry, and he deemed those people who who turned down his invitations as unworthy to attend. And he decides to send his servants out into the highways to invite other people. He says, well, if these people, these first group of people don't want to come to the banquet for my son. Then I'm going to invite other people. I'm going to invite anyone, anyone else who wants to come. The servants did what the king requested. They went out, they went into the highway, they invited the good and the bad. Anyone who wanted to come to the marriage banquet, they're now, they're now invited, they can now come. And many re- ex- receive or accept the invitation. Unlike the first group, these people that who are invited on the highways, they come to the banquet, they come to the wedding. And the room, the wedding room, is filled with guests. Was well, the king then enters into the room, he starts walking around and he notices someone's, someone there who's not dressed appropriately. He doesn't have on proper attire. He doesn't have on attire that is fit and appropriate for the occasion. And so in verse number 12, He asked him, he says, friend, how did you come here without wedding clothes on? How could you come to this event and not have on the proper attire? And when that question was asked to this man, he was speechless. He, he, He knew that there was no justification for his actions. He knew there was nothing that he could say that would make the situation okay with the king. And so he was kicked out. He was taken and thrown out of the wedding banquet. And he was put into a place, Jesus says, that was outer darkness and it had weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus then says, for many are called, but few are chosen. There's a lot going on in that parable. And so... Let me try to simplify it some. Let me simplify it and just give you the big picture of what the Lord is talking about. Here's the meaning of the parable. Everybody in the parable represents someone. Let's start with the king. The king is pretty obvious. The king represents God. He's the king. He's the one who has has prepared this great banquet for his son, his son being Jesus the Christ. The marriage takes place. When the Lord Jesus establishes his church, that's the marriage. Jesus establishes a bride, a pure bride, the church, his people. That is the wedding. That's the wedding that's taking place. And the Father is the one who prepares all of this. Through his plan, he created to save us from our sins. God prepares a great wedding for his son, for the marriage to take place between the Lord and his bride, which is his spiritual body, his church, his people. And guess who was invited first to the the wedding, to be part of this great banquet? It was the Jews. The Jews were invited first. And the servants who go out to invite them and to tell them, to come to the Lord's banquet to get right with God and make sure their souls are right with the Lord. That represents the prophets. The prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Nahum, Habakkuk, the prophets were the ones who were sent by God to urge the people to repent and enter into the grace and fellowship of God. They were the ones invited first to the wedding. But they rejected the invitation. They rejected the invitation over and over again. They rejected the invitation even when Jesus gave it to them when he was on the earth. And those caught on the highways represent the rest of the world. You see, when the majority of Jews, not all Jews, not all of them, but when the majority of the Jews rejected the Lord's invitation to come and take part in this great wedding banquet, those other people who were invited, those on the highways, that represents the rest of the world. Anybody else, not just Gentiles, but anyone who's willing to receive the Lord's, the Lord's grace on his terms, they're invited to come. That represents me. That represents you. We are all invited to be part of this great banquet. The outcasts, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the people who who at one time were involved in drugs and alcoholism, adultery, homosexuality, were all invited through the gospel to come to the feast, to come to the great banquet. And those who go out doing the inviting, the second time, that represents messengers of God, not just prophets, but today we're talking about Preachers, teachers, disciples who go out into the world preaching the gospel to all creation. When we go out and preach the gospel, we are inviting those on the highway to come and share the great banquet and wedding of God. These are who the different characters in the parable represent. And as far as the lessons go, let me give you three very quickly. First, let's talk a little bit about this language, many are called but few are chosen. Many are called to the great banquet. Many are called to the wedding of the lamb and his bride, but only a few actually accept that invitation. In the case of the Jews, they were called, but only a few accepted the invitation. We can read about those few who accepted the invitation in Acts 2 and verse number 41, Acts 4 and verse 4. The early church was made up of mainly Jews. We don't find Gentiles coming into the kingdom until we get to Acts chapter 10. But while many Jews did obey the gospel in the first century, that number compared to the nation as a whole is very small. Only a few, only a few actually received or accepted the invitation. To the wedding. And as we think about our time today, the same is still true. Today, while we preach the gospel, while we go out into the world and call all people to come and experience the blessings of Christ, only a small few actually accept the invitation. Only a small few actually decide to obey the gospel and put Christ on through baptism. Jesus said this was going to happen in Matthew 7 and verse 13 when he says, broad is the way that leads to destruction and many will go that way, but only a small few, only a few will take that narrow road that leads to eternal life. Many are called. Many are called to the wedding. Many are called by the gospel, but only a few actually take God up on the invitation. A second lesson I want to leave you with is this. Those who are invited to the marriage feast must wear proper attire. For those of us who receive and accept the Lord's invitation, we got to make sure we come to the feast dressed appropriately. We must enter into the fellowship of God with the right spiritual attire. Paul talks about some of this some of this attire in Galatians 5 in verses 22 through 23 when he talks about the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Throughout the New Testament we see that as Christians we need to be clothed in humility, and love, purity, honesty. These are the kind of spiritual clothes that we need to put on. If we don't have on the proper attire, In the kingdom of God, we will be cast out just like this man was cast out when he wasn't dressed appropriately at the feast that had been prepared by the king. Those invited to the marriage feast, those who accept the invitation to come to the feast, we must wear the right attire, the right spiritual attire. And then, third and finally, I want to leave you with this. I want to leave you with the idea that the God of the Bible, the God of the scriptures, is not just a God of love. He's not just a God of grace and mercy and even forgiveness, but he's also a God of wrath. He's also a God who takes sin very seriously. He's also a God that punishes and rejects those who refuse to submit to him and accept his invitations. That's really what's going on here. And Matthew 22, here again, Jesus is talking about how because they rejected his messengers and ultimately rejected his son, God was going to sever his relationship with the Jewish people, with the physical nation of Israel, and he was going to invite and receive other people into his fellowship, into his kingdom, and that would be people who would submit to the terms of the gospel Those people could be Jews. Those people could be Gentiles. It wouldn't matter. The main basis for them to be able to be received into the grace and fellowship of God would be whether or not they accepted his invitation to be part of the bride of Christ. Now these are just three. Three of many parables where Jesus talks about the judgment that would come upon the Jewish people because they rejected him. And remember these prophecies, these parables would all be fulfilled when God used the Roman army to destroy Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Now, that concludes our study this evening. In our next study, we're going to talk about prayer a little bit. We're going to talk about uh, a prayer or a parable that has to do with prayer and how prayer is a blessing and a privilege extended to God's children. And Jesus wants us to make sure that we always take advantage of that privilege and blessing thank you for staying with me this evening